What a strange and wonderful and terrible time we're living in these days. We've just come out of a time of pandemic and quarantine and many states are needing to go back into quarantine. We've had a solid month of demonstrations on the streets of our cities in America and and demonstrations all over the world confronting racism. Here in the States and around the world, statues of old revered leaders have been going down. Actually, the church and the world have always been in some form of conflict. It's been a fraught relationship between Christians and folks in the world, especially people in power. One of Jesus' agricultural parables that we've been looking at over the past couple of days might have a good message for us today. So let's listen to the gospel together. Our gospel reading comes from Matthew 13, verses 24 through 30 and verses 36 through 43. He put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field. But while everybody was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared as well. And the slaves of the householder came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? He answered, An enemy has done this. And the slave said to him, Then do you want us to go and to gather them? But he replied, no, for in gathering the weeds, you would uproot the wheat along with them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest. I will tell the reapers, collect the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples approached him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are collected and burned up with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The son of man will send his angels and they will collect out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all evildoers. And they will throw them into the furnace of fire, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Let anyone with ears listen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A lady came into my office some time back. I'd never seen her before that day, and I haven't seen her since. She was looking for the perfect church. She didn't exactly say that to me in those words, but I'm pretty sure that that's what she was after. She had, it seems, been a part of an imperfect church for a while, and she got sick and tired of that, so she thought she'd have a look around and find a group that better fit her standards. I'm still not exactly sure why that led her to us, but here she was in my office, and she was tough. I got to tell you, she reached into her purse and she pulled out this little machine that had 
dials and buttons and a couple of wires coming out of it that that she hooked to a battery. And I started getting a little bit nervous. And I said, what's that? And she said, this is a heretic detector. As she mashed an alligator clip onto my very tender right earlobe. Ouch, I said. What does that red button on that thing do? I hope you never find out, she said, her eyes burning like coals. Answer the following questions. Does this church use the authorized King James Bible? Where does this church stand on abortion? Do you agree with what Jesus had to say about gays? Do you let divorced people teach in your Sunday school? The yellow light started to blink. Do you believe women should be not only seen in the church, but heard as well? Do you allow godless liberals in this church, she said. A faint blue light began to glow on the panel. On and on it went. Supreme Court nominees, sending back immigrants to where they came from. Inerrancy, inclusive language, and sinners. How does this church discipline and deal with sinners? By this time, the dials were spinning wildly, and my left earlobe felt like it had been gnawed off by some kind of crazed animal. She fixed me with a withering stare, yanked the wire off my ear, and nearly took the earlobe with it, and flipped off the power switch. You only scored a 73, she said, as she gathered her things, brushed the contagion off her clothing, and was gone. Does this mean that you won't be joining our choir? I asked as the door slammed in my face. What is it that you look for in a church, in a Christian body? What is it that you look for in a mission team? Should the faith that we practice tell us exactly where everyone should stand? Should we all look more and more alike as we look more like Jesus? Does the church stand for something? Does the church stand for anything? Is the church a place where we can say with some degree of confidence and authority, this is the right path, and that is the wrong path? This is what we believe. And that is very definitely what we do not believe our practice. And if we are defined by the practices of orthodoxy, by certain standards of conduct, by certain issues of morality, who is it who decides for us what is right and wrong? What's the good way and the bad way? Who sets the standard for the ideal CMF, man or woman? And what do we do when someone decides to color outside the lines? What do we do when we don't agree with the decisions that someone else makes? Churches, of course, have been struggling with issues like this since the very beginning. Sometimes it's moral or social issues that divide Christians. A few years back, a Church of Christ in my parents' hometown in Collinsville, Oklahoma, 
took disciplinary action against a woman who was being accused of having an affair. This woman took the elders of that church to court for invasion of privacy and won a large cash settlement against them. Churches and denominations fracture over members' views of things like, what do you think about gay relationships or abortion or the moral failings of a leader? Sometimes it's political issues that divide Christians. There was a church in North Carolina a few years ago that made national headlines when the pastor kicked out nine members of that church who refused to support a certain political candidate. One of the guys that was kicked out said that that pastor went on and on about how he's going to bring politics up. And if we didn't agree with him, we should leave. He said, I think I deserve the right to vote for who I want to. This man's name was Isaac Sutton. And he told the press, he said, uh, I think that the pastor is just young and thinks that he knows everything. He and his wife, who had been at the church for 12 years, were among those nine folks who were voted out, who were kicked out. Sometimes it's political issues that pull us apart. Sometimes it's theological issues that seem to cause divides between us. Years ago, our congregation here in Tennessee started receiving a good bit of hate mail and bad press when it became widely known that uh, within the, the brotherhood that the sisterhood at our church was active in ministry and that we were even electing some of our sisters into leadership over us. And what's the alternative to taking a stand and being willing to duke it out over the issues, whether they're social or political or religious? Are we simply supposed to be an affirming group that passes out warm fuzzies to people and tells you that it's all right to believe and to do anything that you want as long as you're sincere? Are we going to be defined by whatever the least common denominator happens to be? In light of all this, Jesus spins a difficult parable for us. It seems that there was a man who plowed a large field and planted wheat in it. But late one night, when everyone was asleep, an enemy came into the field and sowed weeds in the field. Sometime later, the hired hands noticed trouble sprouting up in the wheat field. They went to the owner of the field and they said, you better have a look at this. This is not good at all. You sowed good seed in this field. We all know that. But look at all these weeds that are coming up. And the owner said, this is the work of my enemies. Well, what do you want us to do? They asked the owner. Do you want us to get out there and to start yanking up those weeds? No, 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 no. Don't, don't do that, said the owner. You start yanking up the weeds, and before you know it, you'll yank up the wheat as well. No, just leave the weeds alone. Let them grow. I'll tell the boys to separate them out at harvest time. They can burn the weeds in their own pile, and then take the grain to the storehouse. I get part of this parable, at least. 
I understand, because Jesus told us, that the Lord's field of wheat is the world. And I understand that the enemy is the one who's sowing the weeds. You're always going to have weeds growing up in the wheat. I'm not sure if Jesus was speaking of the weeds that we put up with out there in the world, or if he's talking about the weeds that grow up right here within the confines of the church's 40 acres. But whatever the case, weeds are often growing up right in the midst of the good wheat. It's a universal principle. The enemy has been sowing thistles, cockleburrs and stinkweed since the beginning in the form of people who seem intent on poisoning the harvest, people who want to work against what God is trying to grow, people who gum up the works, people who are happy to jab a thorn into somebody else when they get the chance, people who are trying to choke out the good produce that God is trying to grow. I understand as well the impulse to yank out those weeds when we can get a hold of them. How many of you hate the sight of a dandelion growing in your yard or a weed growing in your garden? Our society is full of dandelion pullers of another variety. Oh my goodness, we've been hearing this year, the foreigners are taking over. We need to yank those guys out and send them back where they came from. Weed pullers, write signs, sign petitions, collar people in the grocery store line, alerting them to the latest outrage. Churches have weed pullers too, don't they? Hey, those folks haven't been here for two years who joined the church. Let's take their names off the roll. Say, did you hear that so-and-so is out there doing crazy things and giving our church a bad name? You better do something about that. You better talk to that guy. Hey, who let that woman sing a special in our church? Boundary watchers, enforcers, heretic detectors, concerned citizens, weed pullers. The church is full of them. And that's the tough part of this story that we've heard from Jesus. If the garden is so full of weeds, why in the world would the Lord tell us, tell the disciples to let the weeds be, to leave the weeds alone? Lord, we dare not allow the weeds to grow up with the rest of the crop. Before you know it, the weeds are going to have the run of the garden. We stand for something around here, don't we? We've got principles, don't we? We know what right and wrong is, don't we? There's good and evil, isn't there? And the boss says, let the weeds alone. Let them grow. But Lord, they'll choke out the good. Let them alone, says the Lord. But they'll go to seed. And before you know it, let the weeds alone. But why, Lord? Because if you start yanking up weeds here and there and everywhere, before you know it, you're going to start pulling up clumps of wheat and trample all over the good grain and cause a bigger mess than you even started out with. And can't you just see that 
that there's real truth to that. Two examples from this morning's paper. You put a high-powered weapon into a person's hand and maybe 49 times out of 50, he's going to make the right choices when he picks it up. But a gun has a powerful effect over a person, even if that person is a weed puller, even if that person is a policeman. Wasn't it Dirty Harry that used to always say, I only kill the people who need killing. Sometimes even, even good meaning, well-meaning people can, can be like that. But then a man reaching for a license gets shot. And then a man gets shot while he's sitting in his car. And a woman gets shot when she's sleeping in her apartment. And the wisdom of Jesus begins to speak loudly to us. If you start yanking up weeds here and there and everywhere, undoubtedly, you're going to start making some real messes and some mistakes. Second thing that I think sort of gives us a real-time example of this story is what's going on with all these statues that are toppling over these days? It's got to be a good feeling to see some of these racists finally get their due. But where's the end of it going to be? On Wednesday, demonstrators in Wisconsin pulled down the statue of a soldier who fought to end slavery. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm all for getting rid of some of these statues. I'm all for getting rid of Andrew Jackson images. He's the guy that moved my people to Cherokee from where they were out to where they are now. But let me tell you something. George Washington's going to be next. And didn't Abraham Lincoln even actually hold some pretty racist views? And why stop there? The image of Jesus in the, the stained glass windows in my church looks unnaturally pale. Maybe it's time to pull those images out as well. Once you start pulling weeds, it's easy to make a mess of it all. In my old neighborhood in Kenya, the weed pullers decided one time that they just couldn't abide one of the guys who had been there from the start. He was a church leader. He was an all right guy, but his sermons weren't all that great. And he dipped snuff. Snuff. Can you believe it? You can't have a guy like that in the Lord's garden. You can't have a guy like that leading your church, they said. And so the whispers began, and the whispers grew in volume, and the Lord's reputation was said to be on the line. And so the whispers got louder, and the meetings behind his back started. And before you know it, they yanked him out of leadership, sent him home, embarrassed him made him mad. But hey, the church has got to have some principles, they said. And I probably don't need to tell you what happened next. You've probably seen it happen in your own neighborhood. But this guy was hurt and embarrassed and angered. And so he stayed home when the church gathered. And not long after that, his wife, was no longer to be seen in the church either. 
And then the kids went missing. And then his mother stopped coming. And then his neighbor stopped coming as well. And then the neighbor's family decided to take a stand and, and quit coming as well. And before you knew it, that weed pulling tore up that little church, riled up the whole neighborhood. Was it worth it? That pulling of that weed? Maybe they should have just left the weed alone. There's another problem with pulling weeds that I discovered when I try to weed the flower beds here at the house. At first, it seems easy. That's a weed. That's a flower. That's a weed. That's a, uh, I'm not sure what that is. Is that a flower or a weed? The owner of the field says that when it comes right down to it, you can't always tell a weed from a flower or a weed from wheat. Think about it. Before you rear back with a blade and whack something down or someone down, can you really tell what's going on in that person's life? What God is, is doing in that person's life? Every church I know of that has gone through a big time weeding program has made a lot of mistakes and has cut down a lot of lives and left a trail of broken spirits. We can't always tell a weed from the wheat. And I truly believe that given time and opportunity, God can even turn what looks like weeds into rich fruit for his garden. Maybe that's why the boss says, don't worry about the judgment stuff. When it comes harvest time, I'll take care of that. I'll take care of the weeds myself. You just worry about the fruit that you're bearing and leave the rest to me. Pulling weeds can be tough business. And the truth of the matter is, every once in a while, a weed absolutely does need to be removed. A statue does need to come down. A racist does need to be opposed, but it should never be done lightly. Once long ago in the life of our church, the fate of a conspicuous sinner came before the leaders of the congregation. Someone suggested pulling that nasty weed because the sin that he committed was so bad that we needed to get rid of it, to throw that weed as far as we could and may it never let be seen in the garden again. Tell this guy, they said, that he can never step foot in this church again, someone said. But then my old friend Walter spoke up at that meeting and he said, I understand why you'd wanna do that. In fact, he said, if this was my church, that's exactly what I'd say and exactly what I'd do. And if this was your church, he said, you'd certainly be within your rights to do it as well. But it's not my church and it's not your church. This is the Lord's church, the Lord's garden. So I guess that means that we have to just try to treat this person 
like the Lord might treat him. This is the place. Ours is the garden where weeds are tolerated. This is the place where weeds are allowed to grow up among the grain. And if we're honest, we've got to admit that we don't even often know which one we are. Weeds are wheat. Every one of us seems to sprout as many thorns and briars and burrs as we do grains of flour or, or grains of wheat or, or flowers or, or fruit. But thankfully, God's garden is also the place where through the grace of God, weeds can actually be turned into wheat. Troubled, nettled lives can become fruitful produce that provides for God's bountiful table. This is a place where given enough time and prayer and love and patience and grace and forgiveness, even our little lives can grow into something beautiful and useful for God. Amen. Well, Tim, many of us have examples of when the church or a group of Christians at some type of ministry uh, that we, we believe that they acted a little too quickly or too judge, to judgmental. Uh, and we probably also each have personal examples of other times when we felt like the church or our ministry was perhaps not judgmental enough on the weeds around us. Uh, is there a time and a place for judgment? Uh, for us uh, as missionaries or and for the church? Uh, do you think sometimes we're a little too easy on sin? Probably. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I've been reading Ecclesiastes, and of course Ecclesiastes 3 mm. says, yeah, there's a time and a place for for judging and refraining from judging. So I'm sure that both of them are true. I, I'm also pretty positive that all of us have sort of natural inclinations. And so sometimes um, we, we either fall perhaps a little more naturally into the fruit inspector uh, role mm -hmm. or, or we're completely hands off and, yeah. and we don't want to touch anything or we'll do those judgments internally and, mm -hmm. and never actually get it out and, and talk about those kinds of yeah. things. We want to be the huh. food inspector, but not the fire inspector. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Or, you know, or we just want to throw rocks from, from a mm. distance. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know. I just think that, that um, if our actions are actually leading uh, to, to gracious forgiveness and change, then, then we're probably on a good track. Mm. Um. If we're yanking weeds out of out of anger, uh, out of hurt, um, out of righteous indignation, then maybe that's maybe that's a little more problematic. Yeah. Well, we're definitely in an, a very interesting time, in many ways, an exciting time, both nationally here in the United States, 
as well as internationally with the very public reckoning on racism. Uh, In the last couple of years, we've also seen the the Me Too movement make some uh, pretty amazing strides against uh, sexual predators. That all seems like positive movements to me, don't you think? I mean, those seem like positive things. So are, are you saying those weeds don't need to be pulled when it comes to the church and and our ministries? No, I'm not saying that at all. Um, mm. In fact, I'm a big believer in what uh, some of the old civil rights leaders used to call good trouble. Mm. Um, I think that Christians need to stay in good trouble. Um, we need to to be active enough um, that sometimes people are, are questioned on, you know, our, our forward, um, movement Hmm. at the, at the same time, we need, uh, to remember the words and the, the actions of, of the great, um, peacemakers of, of our time who, uh, who say that, you know, we need to, to win people off over through, um, long suffering love. And, uh, and not through acts of, of violence or judgmentalism. Mm. And so somehow we've got to, we've got to strike that balance. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know, I, I think that uh, some of the stuff that's going on, I'm so happy to see more of a national reckoning on yeah. racism. Um, but, uh, but when we see the streets burning, when we see uh, violence being inflicted on people, Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, I've got a question whether that's a, whether that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I understand. And I totally agree. Well, as you think, uh, about your own life and the number of ministries that you've been involved in, uh, was there a time when you pulled something that, or someone that looked like a weed, uh, but you regretted it later? Uh, you mentioned, uh, in your sermon, uh, in your time in Kenya, that there was a man in Kenya not the best preacher uh, and uh, a person that used snuff on a regular basis um, and witnessing the kind of the aftermath of, of him getting pulled as a weed out of that congregation. Would that be a time where maybe you regret not having gotten more involved or as a missionary and an outsider, did it feel like this was more of a cultural situation that you couldn't, get your hands in. I'd love to know, I guess one part, are, do you have some regrets on some weeds you've pulled? And then looking also at your ministry in Kenya, how do, how does that play out or how did that play out from the judgment and the weeds and the wheat? How many hours do we have for this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. Sorry. I know that's, uh, that's totally, get, <laughs> totally a packed you, question. I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, mm-hmm. One with regards to the story of the guy I told, uh, I'm, I've got clean hands on that one. That no. that all happened after I left uh, the area. So okay. uh, any anything that happened there was uh, on somebody else's watch, and I don't I don't have to take any blame for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can think of another time when um, when there was uh, one of our our national believers. Uh, he didn't live in my area, but uh, I felt like he really did uh, one of my colleagues uh, wrong. Um, spoke badly about him, um, put him down. And this guy had really helped this guy a lot, I thought. And uh, and when that happened, I just flew off. I don't know what you're like in uh, in, in other languages, but yeah, uh, 
I think my wife says when I when I get mad, my Maasai gets better. I don't I don't know if that's true or not, but it was coming hot and heavy that day. And mm -hmm. I kind of dressed this guy down and and mm -hmm. one of my Maasai brothers who was there, I thought he would stand with me and also mm -hmm. you know, work work this guy over a little bit with me. And uh, he didn't. And then when he got me off privately, uh, he said to me, he said, you talk to that guy like an animal. Mm. And uh, of course, I was just pierced to the heart and, yeah. and realized that this guy who was really a pretty new Christian, really, the guy who was counseling me mm -hmm. um, was really speaking God's wisdom to me. Mm. And, and I just realized that it doesn't matter necessarily the fact that you're in opposition to someone or that you're calling someone down. But what matters a whole lot is the is what's in your heart when it happens mm. and, and how you go about um, trying to settle things out. And there's something that's just kind of violent about that image of pulling weeds. Um, mm -hmm. And we're often like that. We think that this is going to be quick. It's going to be over. It's going to be done yeah. with, and we won't have to mess with this thing anymore. But, mm -hmm. um, but that that very violence causes that's a it's a pretty rough decision, uh, at least for the weed. Yeah. Well, and, when you uh, pull up a, an actual weed, you pull up tons of roots and a lot of dirt with it. You pull up a lot of parts of the garden, as you said yeah. in your sermon. So that's true. Yes. And then the second thing that I remember is um, as a team leader. Uh, one of the leaders of the team um, and a team member in Kenya, we always um, um, did our own discipline, I guess. You know, we we made decisions about people's lives and mm -hmm. teammates' lives. And if we didn't think that they were um, living up to, to what our expectations were, uh, we, we had a lot of power, you know, mm. over their future. And... Yeah. Uh, and of course, you know, we really tried to work with them um, in their settings, in country, but there've been a couple of times when we've sent people home or um, where we've really been hard on them. And, and those are the things that sometimes when I wake up at night, you know, I, I wonder, mm -hmm. sometimes I don't even wonder if the decision was correct um, as much as I wonder, as I worry about how easy that was to sort of gang up on somebody and uh, to let them have it or to, yeah. or to pull that weed or to mm -hmm. um, bring discipline down upon somebody. Yeah. So Similar to the, in the parable, how quickly the, the workers were ready to jump on it. They were ready to pull the weeds and the, it was the master that was saying, no, just take it, take it easy. Uh, yeah. Too, too often on our teams or, or with our, maybe with our national partners we're we're quick uh, to point out the weeds or to start, start yanking on them. <laughs> we need somebody yeah. to steady our hand. <laughs> For sure. Well, my last question uh, is at the end of uh, your sermon, uh, you challenge us to remember that the church and our ministries are places where by the grace of God, a weed can become weed. I love that, that word picture. Uh, a thorny person can become a fruit bearer. And I was just wondering if you think there are some ways in which we as a church and as our missionaries listen to the sermon, uh, if there's some ways that we can help guide weeds towards being wheat. Yeah. Well, I do think that one, we need to work on our own level of patience and endurance. 
bearing with one another. Wendell Berry writes some great stories about that. I heard him speak one time. He was talking about about, uh, divorce, and he was talking about, put it in the context of people who move into an area, and he said that there there are stayers, and there are those who are kind of always ready to pull up stakes and move somewhere else. Mm. Uh, boomers and, and mm-hmm. uh, stayers. And he said that marriage gives us an incredible opportunity to, to, uh, to grow if we're willing to stay in mm. every instance, to, to commit, to stay, to be in that relationship with someone, to see what happens next. And I, I love that image. And I think that we can expand that to problematic people who are around us. Mm. Uh, oftentimes, it's uh, as much a problem of the system that can't, um, and that can't build good, um, good guidance and good discipline uh, for a person as it is the person themselves. Yeah. Um, I know Edwin Friedman always says that it it doesn't matter the kind of mix that you have on a team. What matters is the emotional crucible that that team or that family creates. Hmm. And so that puts each one of us, when we have, when we rip something out and throw it away, that's a failure, not only of the person perhaps, but it's a failure of, of the team or the family or the church as, mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Well, Tim, thank you so much for providing us with your insight here during these questions, this question and answer time, as well as for your word uh, from Matthew 13 and uh, with sharing with us uh, further insight on the weeds and the wheat. We're grateful for you and your ministry. God bless you. Thank you, Jake. God bless you all.